It's time for week number five of Purpose Driven Life. And this has been a very uh, uh, challenging, challenging week. I don't think I've ever read a book quite like Purpose Driven Life that has really impacted me so hard in what being an authentic Christian is all about uh, and really been challenging. And today we're going to be starting uh, our fourth purpose out of the five purposes God created us for. Uh, How many know Elvis Presley? He was one of the most famous entertainers of all time. We all know the king of rock and roll. Uh, They called him the king. He sold over one billion records, over 30 movies. And yet at 42 years old, Elvis Presley died of drug overdose and abuse and obesity. And after he had died, his wife Priscilla said this about her husband Elvis that I think is very uh, revealing to us today as we're in the series on finding our purpose for our life. It says Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what his purpose in life was. He thought he was here for a reason. Maybe to preach, maybe to serve, maybe to save, maybe to care for people. And that agonizing desire was always with him. And he knew he wasn't fulfilling it. So he would go on stage so he wouldn't have to think about it. Elvis Presley achieved everything you could possibly achieve as a human being. And yet it wasn't enough. He wasn't fulfilled. He knew he was created for a purpose, but he wasn't fulfilling the purpose God created. And if you read the people that knew Elvis, if you read their biographies and the stories of his bodyguards and the different people that were close to him, they'll tell you story after story of a man who would wake up in the middle of the night with night terrors, knowing that he wasn't doing what God created him to do. He knew his life was meant for more, and yet he didn't fulfill his purpose, but he achieved everything that the world had to offer. That's what this journey is all about. What am I here for? Why did God place me on planet earth? Is there a reason for my life? Is there a purpose to all of that? You know, week one, we talked about our purpose of worship. God is building a family and he wants you to be a part of it. And he created you to worship him and bring him pleasure and bring him glory. Week two, we talked about fellowship. God wants you to be in relationship with other Christians and family and part of the church. Last week was challenging. We talked about discipleship, how God is more interested in your character than your comfort. God's goal is not to make your life easy, but God's goal is to make you like Christ. Discipleship. Grow to become like Christ. And today we're going to talk about our fourth purpose that God created us for, serving. So I invite you to follow along with us on your notes inside of your worship pack. There's some fill in the blanks. Or if you're a techie, you can go to Version and pull up under live events and you can find all of our scripture and notes there under Version. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. The Bible says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You are God's workmanship. God created you to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What does this mean? This means before your grandparents ever met, God had a plan for your life. God created you. He designed you for good works. God prepared you for good works. He planned out your life. You are not an accident. God put you on earth for a purpose. He designed you specifically the way he wanted to, to do good works for him. That's why in life, it's not about how long you live that matters. It's about how you live that matters. Almost not my chair over. 
to be careful up here. I'm about to end my life short. Uh, it's not the duration of your life that matters. It's the donation of your life that matters. Calvin Coolidge, uh, the former president, made this statement. He said, honor was never given for what somebody received, but for what somebody gave. See, it's not about consuming in life. It's about contributing. It's about playing your part. Nobody in life gets a free ride. We all have a job to do. God created you. God commissioned you. God shaped you. God designed you for a purpose. And how do we discover that shape? Well, I would encourage you to join us the third Sunday of the month at Discover 301. We have designed the Discover 301 course to help you figure out how God shaped you. We do a disc test. We do a spiritual gifts test. We do a passion assessment. We want you to discover how God made you unique. And if you will do what God created you to do, we all win. We're all better when you find out who you are and when you live out the life that God created you to live. And listen to me. Your shape, your design, your, your gift was not given to you for your benefit. God gave it to you. You were created to use it for God and for other people. First Peter chapter four, verse 10 says it like this. Each one, every single one of you should use whatever gift you've received, whatever gift God's given you. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to make a lot of money. It's not what the Bible says. It says you are to use the gift that God has given you to serve others, to serve others. And that is our fourth purpose in life. God created you to serve God by serving others. You are created to serve God by serving others. You know, I meet people all the time that say, well, I want to serve God. I just don't want to serve other people. Well, that's impossible. You cannot serve God without serving other people. Jesus said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor are equal. They go hand in hand. See, we live in a world that likes to, likes to glorify and make spiritual isolationists. You know, you look at these monks, you look at these people that go and live in monasteries and they isolate themselves from the world. And we like to say that's a spiritual person. The Bible says that's anti-spiritual. That, that, that is carnality. When you isolate yourself from the world and you go live in a monastery and you go be a monk, that's not being spiritual. That doesn't bring glory to God. That is carnal. That is living for yourself because God created you for other people. God created you. What real spirituality is, is when you live out his word, when you live out his life amongst the family, amongst other people, that's what it means to really be spiritual, not to isolate yourself from others. You know, we look at the word ministry and many of us have a, have the wrong definition of the word ministry. The Bible interchangeably uses the word serve, serving, service with the word ministry. Sometimes it translates it ministry. Sometimes it translates it serving. Even the word minister is misunderstood. If I ask you, what do you think of when you hear the word minister? Many people say, well, I think of a guy in a robe and a pointy hat and he, and he talks funny. Oh, heavenly father, turn in your Bibles. That's not minister. The, the, the real word for minister is servant. Servant. That, that is what the Bible describes a minister. That is the interchangeable word for minister is servant. Which means if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a minister. 
Every one of you is a minister. If you follow Jesus, you are called by God to be a minister to this world. You may not get paid for it, but you still are a minister. That is your being a being in ministry is not a profession. Being in ministry is a responsibility of following Jesus Christ. Your career is not your ministry. You, you know, I have a ministry outside of my career. My career is to be the senior pastor, but I'm also on the dream team. I also serve. I also do a lot of stuff around here that's way outside of my job responsibility and way outside of, uh, of what I'm paid for. Why? Because I have a career and I have a ministry. I serve outside of my career. And that's the key is your shape. Your design will help you will help you figure out your ministry. But your attitude reveals your maturity. Jesus says it like this, because God gives us a model for how to serve. Matthew 20, verse 28. Jesus says, your attitude must be like my own. You are called to say have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. And what was his attitude? His attitude was simply this. For I did not come to be served but to serve. That's the attitude you should have. Your attitude should be, I'm not here to see what I can get out of life. I'm not here to be served. I'm not here to take. I'm here to give. I'm here to contribute. I'm here to serve. That's the attitude of Jesus Christ. And your gifting, your your spiritual gifts, your design, your shape, that will determine where your, your calling and your ministry is, but it's your attitude that will reveal the level of maturity that you have. And remember, life is simply preparation for eternity. Your life is billions and billions and billions of years long. You only have a couple of those years on earth. You only get a few years on earth, but your life is going to be billions and billions and billions of years. So your goal is to use earth as the practice run. Use earth as your final dress rehearsal. Use earth as training and preparation for all of eternity. Because we're going to be living out these purposes forever So God wants us to get the hang of them here on earth and begin to work them out and practice them. That's why serving is so important to God, learning to serve others because we'll be doing that forever. So God wants you to get a little practice here on earth. So let's talk about learning to serve like Jesus and what it looks like and what it means. Number one, serving like Jesus means being available. Serving like Jesus means being available available. Jesus was available. One day Jesus is walking down the street and in Matthew 20, it says two blind men stopped him and shouted, Lord, have mercy on us. And what does the Bible say? Jesus stopped. Now I'm telling you, Jesus had an agenda that day. He, he wasn't walking around aimlessly. Jesus wasn't walking around just kind of letting whatever happened happen in life. He had a plan for his day, and the Bible says he was stopped. He was interrupted. His agenda was interrupted. His day was stopped. You know, a lot of people, they like to study the steps of Jesus and following the steps of Jesus. I love what Pastor Rick Warren says. He says, I like to study the stops of Jesus. You know, because the stops of Jesus are just as important as the steps of Jesus. Because every time you see Jesus get interrupted, every time Jesus is stopped, an incredible miracle takes place. Even the first miracle. I mean, Jesus is kicking back, enjoying a wedding, relaxing, enjoying the celebration. And they come and interrupt him. Jesus, help. There's, we're out of wine. We need your help. I mean, the stops of Jesus are incredible. I, I, I call them divine interruptions. God has planned divine interruptions for your life. 
And Jesus didn't mind these divine interruptions. He didn't mind his schedule to be interrupted. He didn't mind his, his agenda to be stopped because his agenda, because uh, he realized his purpose was to love God by loving others. And he understood that. So he didn't mind when he was interrupted. See, when you wake up every day, you, you should say, God, okay, here's my checklist. Here, here's my agenda. This is what I want to accomplish today, God. But if you want to change my agenda, if you want to interrupt my schedule, if you want to change things on me, I surrender it to you and I'm open for your interruptions. See, the question of your maturity is, do you look at interruptions as an irritation or do you look at interruptions as an opportunity? I love the way a a Proverbs puts it. Three verse 28 says, never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow. If you can help them now, don't say wait for tomorrow. If you can do something now, you see servant hearted people are spontaneous. Servant hearted people can handle interruptions in life because interruptions are opportunities to see God's hand move through them and impact and change somebody. I love John Wesley, one of the great uh, revivalists of uh, 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 past days. This was his life motto, and I love his life motto. He said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. I mean, that's a pretty good life motto to live by. But let's look at a couple barriers that that prevent us from being available to God. The first barrier I want to talk about is self-centeredness. Self-centeredness is a barrier that keeps us from being available to God. I don't have time for God's plan. I got too much going on. I got way too much going on. I got a demanding job, a demanding schedule. I got kids. They're involved in different activities. I got, you know, one's in this sport, one's in dance, one's in this, one's, we're all going different directions. I just have way too much going on. I don't have time to serve. I don't have time for my church. I don't have time for the dream team. I don't have time because I am way too busy. Well, Philippians 2, 4 says, forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. If you're going to be available to God, you're going to have to forget about yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. You know what the number one enemy to compassion is? Busyness. The number one enemy to compassion is busyness. We put a do not disturb sign on our heart. And and, and listen to me. I guarantee you after today, after this message, God's not going to waste this message on you. I guarantee you he's going to do something this week to interrupt your life. He, 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 he literally is, is going to bring you face to face with the need this week. And you're going to know it's him. And you're going to think of me when it happens. And you're going to be like, he's going to do something to interrupt your life. And you're going to be faced with a choice. Do I follow my agenda or do I follow this divine interruption and see where it takes me and see how God is going to use this? Because it will happen. And real servants, they don't mind uh, being interrupted because their agenda is you. Their, Their agenda is serving. Their agenda is helping. Another barrier that keeps us from being available is perfectionism perfectionism. People say, well, you know, I'll serve God when the time is right. When when, when the circumstances are perfect, when the kids are grown and they're in college and we have enough money in the bank and my job settles down a little bit and, and everything gets under control right now, it's just too crazy. I'm too overwhelmed. But when, when, when the circumstances are right, then I'll serve God. Then I'll get involved. Then I'll do something. But see, real servants, they'll do what they can with what they have today. I love Ecclesiastes 11, verse 4. It says it like this. If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. 
If you wait for the timing to be right, you're never going to get anything done. Uh, we have a dear lady in our church, Patrice Fink, who I love with all my heart. Her husband's one of our drummers, and she's been a part of the church for years. And for the last nine years, she has been uh, 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 suffering from the worst form of MS. I mean, she, her body is in constant agony and pain 24 hours a day. She never has, you know, a moment of reprieve or a moment of relief. And a few weeks ago, she made this comment to my wife. And, and, and I was a little shocked because Patrice is an amazing woman. You never see her complain. You always see a smile on her face. I mean, she is doing so much for God despite of her circumstances. But she made a comment to my wife a couple weeks ago after the service. She said, you know, I realized today that I've been sitting around waiting for God to heal me before I get more involved. And I keep telling myself, well, after I'm healed, then I'll do more for God. And I realize I can't wait for God to heal me. I got to do more today. I don't need to wait for the circumstances to change. I need to start doing more today. And I thought, you know what? She has the heart of serving like Jesus. The, the last barrier to being available to God that I want to talk about is materialism. Materialism. We're so busy with stuff, with things, with, 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 that we just don't have time for God. You know, we're, we're too busy with our hobbies that we don't have time for God. And there's nothing wrong with hobbies and outlets as long as they don't become the priority of your life. Because Jesus didn't die on a cross for your hobbies. He died on a cross for you to fulfill your purpose in life. And so some of you are going to have to give up doing some stuff to truly fulfill your purpose. You're going to have to give up a little bit of your free time. Now, God wants you to, to still enjoy life. I believe God created life for us to enjoy. But some of us are, are going overboard on it. You know, we're, we're doing more for ourselves than we're doing for the kingdom. We're doing more for our personal pleasure than we're doing for his purposes. The question is, is are you a kingdom builder or are you a wealth builder? Because you can't be both. Your, your goal in life is either to build wealth or your goal in life is either to build the kingdom. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wealth because some of the greatest kingdom builders I know are the wealthiest people I know, but, they, but their goal isn't the wealth. Their goal is God's kingdom. And because their goal is God's kingdom, God has entrusted them with incredible wealth. So what is the goal? What is the number one goal of your life? Is it to make money or is it to serve God? Luke 16, 13 says it like this. No servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. The Bible doesn't say you shouldn't serve God in money. It says it is impossible to serve both God and money. You just can't do it. This is an impossibility. So let me say it like this. If you have a job that keeps you so busy, that, 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 that you're so busy making money and building your career with your job that you don't have any time to serve, you don't have any time for the dream team, you don't have any time to find a place in the local church, you don't have any time to do anything where you don't get anything in return, then you're too busy. Because that, that's not God's purpose. Jesus didn't die for your career. He died for your purpose. He died for you to fulfill the purpose God created you for. And our purpose is priority. So what is your purpose? So the next thing I want to say about serving like Jesus, number two, is serving like Jesus means being grateful. If you want to serve like Jesus, you've got to be grateful for it. Gratitude in advance. Remember the story of Lazarus in the Bible? Jesus had, you know, uh, some really close friends, Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus is sick and they sent for Jesus to come and help. And Lazarus died and Jesus waits three days after he died before he came. 
And he gets there. And I love the way Jesus handles the situation in John chapter 11. He says, Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I'm saying this for the benefit of the people standing here. Jesus thanked God before the miracle happened. He thanked God in advance. He was grateful in advance and it empowered him. Psalm 100 100 verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. You should be glad about serving God. See, that's why the culture of our church is you don't have to do anything at Coastline Church. That's our culture. You don't have to serve. You don't have to tithe. You don't have to give. You don't have to be on the dream team. You don't have to do anything. If you have to do it, we'd rather you not do it. Because we don't want have to people. We are building a get to culture. I get to serve God. I get to tithe. I get to give. I get to be on the dream team. I get to be a part of God's plan. I want to do it. I'm doing it with gladness and gratefulness. See, that's the culture of our church. Why? Second Timothy one gives us the answer. Second Timothy one, it says, because it is he who saved us. Do you realize you've been saved? I, I think we forget too easily what that really means to be saved. That without being saved, I'd be separated from God for all of eternity, burning in a place called hell. And it is a reality. And I've been saved from that. I mean, billions of years of my eternity, I've been saved. So I can easily give him a few years on earth after what he's saved me from. And I can do it gladly and gratefully. It says it is he who saved us and chose us for his holy work. God chose you for his work, not your work. Not because we deserved it, because none of us deserved it. We are all, not one person here is good enough. None of us deserved it. But because that was his plan. See, his plan was to save you for his work, not your work. He wanted to save you for his work because he has a purpose for you. So what are some barriers that keep us from being grateful in life? Well, the first barrier is comparing and criticizing. Comparing and criticizing. Romans 14, verse 4. Who are you to criticize somebody else's servant? The Lord will determine whether his servant has been successful. If you are a glass half empty person, you can change. It is a choice. You do not have to live that way. Half empty will keep you from being grateful because you're too busy focused on the negative. You're too busy focused on what you don't have that you don't rejoice and you're not grateful for what you do have. I see people all the time. They're blessed unbelievably by God, but they spend more time complaining about what they don't have than being grateful by what they do have. And that'll destroy your heart of a servant. That'll destroy your gratefulness. People too busy comparing. You know, people will, 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 God will bless them with something and they can't even be grateful because their friend was blessed with something better. And they're so busy comparing their blessing to somebody else's blessing that they can't simply be grateful for what they have. Another barrier to, to being grateful is serving with the wrong motives. When you have the wrong motives, Matthew 6 verse 1, when you do good deeds, don't try to show off. If you do, you won't get a reward from your father in heaven. 
And I see this happen all the time, especially uh, during the holidays. I mean, no, we love to go help the homeless during the holidays. We don't have a relationship with them. We don't know them. We haven't taken the time to really, uh, 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 really find out who they are. We're serving them. And I'm not saying this is everyone. So I'm lumping a lot of people in the same box. I'm not saying everyone because there are people who genuinely serve with the right motives. But let's be real honest. Most of the people that do the once a year thing, they're doing it to alleviate their guilt for the lifestyle they lived all year. Oh, look, I gave something back. Look how good I am. Look how humble I am. I hope everyone can come see how humble I am by giving. I mean, that's the reality, the wrong motives. And you're not going to make it through the long haul if you're serving with the wrong motives. The third thing I want to talk about today is serving like Jesus means being faithful. If you're going to serve like Jesus, you're going to have to be faithful, which means you can't quit when you get discouraged. You can't give up when it gets tough, when it gets hard, when it gets painful. When you go through betrayal, when you go through hard times, when, you, when you're faced with challenges in life. When you run into a hypocrite in the church, guess what? You're going to run into hypocrites here. I love our church. I think we have the greatest church in the world. I'm very passionate about this church. But guess what? We're not perfect. We're not a perfect church. I'm the biggest hypocrite here. I mean, every single week, I've got to preach out of a perfect book that I could never live up to. You're going to run into hypocrites in the church. None of us are perfect. But being faithful means you don't quit. You don't pick up your toys and go to another sandbox when you get offended. You know, I... I, (laughs) I didn't tell I didn't tell this story in any other service, but I have a friend in El Paso and um, he had, he had uh, some ushers in his church and between they had multiple services between services in the green room. They'd always put out donuts for the ushers. And what began to happen is they began to spend more and more time with the donuts than they did greeting the first time visitors. People were late to their station. They weren't at the doors because they were spending more time fellowshipping with donuts than fellowshipping with people. So one day he decided to get rid of the donuts. And literally, he had a couple families in his church get mad and leave the church over donuts. Now, I want to be there in heaven when they're standing in line at judgment. And God looks down and says, well, I see here, I, I, I called you uh, to this church in El Paso and you had an assignment and you were there to serve. But it, but it looks like there in 2007, you left the church. Can you explain to me why that you left the church I put you in? Well, the pastor took away our donuts. (laughs) We are faithful to the church God called us to. See, Jesus faced it all too. Jesus faced criticism. He faced discouragement. He faced depression. He faced every temptation. They beat him. They abused him. He faced it all. And at the end of his life, at John chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus said this to his father. He says, I have brought you glory on earth. See, you're called to bring glory to God on earth. You have a job on earth. I have called to bring you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And as a pastor, that is my heart's prayer for each of you. Is that at the end of your life, you can stand before God. And you can honestly say, God, I brought you glory with my life. Because I completed the work that you gave me to do on earth. 
I, I did what you asked me to do, God. I brought you glory on earth and I did my job. So being faithful is all about. Look, look at 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. The one thing required of servants is that they be talented. No. It's not about your talent. It's not about your education. It's not about your abilities. It's not about your skill level. It's not about how much you've been discipled. It's not about whether or not you've gotten rid of all your issues. The only thing that matters is that you be faithful, which means you never retire from ministry. You will be in ministry to the day you die. As long as you have a heartbeat, as long as you have breath in your body, God has a plan for you on earth. God has things he wants you to accomplish for his purpose and his glory and his will on earth. As long as you live, you will never retire from ministry. So what motivates us for the long haul? It's knowing your work matters. You have to know that what you do matters. You have to know how significant your job for Christ is. And let's be real honest. Most of the stuff we do every day doesn't really matter. I mean, most I, I looked at yesterday and I, and I, and I kind of like itemized everything I did yesterday. Most of what I did yesterday didn't matter a whole lot. It just really didn't matter. But what I do for him matters. Look at 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Throw yourselves into the work of the master. It doesn't say throw yourselves into your career. It says, throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. Nothing you do for God, nothing you do for his purpose and his glory. None of the five things we're learning about is a waste of time and a waste of effort because real servants do every job with equal dedication. A real servant isn't going to perform better if the job is prominent versus Behind the scenes. See, a lot of people, they want prominence. They, they want to be seen. They want, they want the glory and the recognition for their work. Well, there's a big difference between prominence and significance. Let me explain it like this. Uh, on my body, one of my most prominent features is my big nose. That, that, that's very prominent. You can't see me without seeing my nose. I got a larger nose than most people, and it's prominent on my body. But just because my nose is prominent doesn't mean it's significant because you could cut my nose off and I could live the rest of my life fine and happy. You may not like looking at me, but I'd be fine without my nose. But my lungs, which you never see, my lungs aren't very prominent at all. You never see them. They're kind of behind the scenes doing their job. They don't ever get any recognition. They don't ever get any glory. They never get talked about. I can't live without my lungs. They are extremely significant. So prominence doesn't mean significance. See, what we live for is significance, not prominence. Because the behind-the-scenes stuff that happens is sometimes the most important stuff that happens in the church. I think about all the people who most of you don't even know their name, but they serve faithfully behind the scenes every single week to make this church happen. I think of Jaden and Jean who, who come in and with, with, with a team of other people and they stuff these worship packs every year. It's not a very glorious job in, in the world standards, but this is extremely important and critical to get this done every week. Why? Because we have new people visiting our church and for them to be able to follow along with the scripture and follow along with the notes and get the word of God inside of them so that they can make a decision for Jesus Christ. This is one of the tools that God uses. You know, I think of uh, uh, the different people like, like Sandy Kalugian that serves over in the children's ministry faithfully and, and, and Kim Zek that serves in the middle school faithfully and Josh that serves in the middle. All these people who serve behind the scenes and we may not know their name, but what they do matters. 
I read a story about teenage, two teenage boys, 16 years old, that went to church years ago. They came late. They weren't Christians. They weren't saved. They came to this church meeting. They showed up late and they're looking all over for a seat and they're not finding a seat and they're getting frustrated. They're getting discouraged and they're about to leave. And one of the ushers at the church that day notices what's going on and responds, goes over to the boys and says, let me help you find a seat. And, and does it, that's why I love the ushers of our church. I love the greeters and the ushers of our church because if you've never been here before, sometimes it's hard to figure it out and they need someone to help. You got to understand, those of you that, that, that are part of the dream team here, what you do matters. So this usher finds these two teenage boys a seat. They, he gets them seated. They listen to the message that night. And both of these boys respond and make a decision for Jesus Christ that night. Now, the thing about the story is none of us know the name of this usher. The boys don't even know the name of the usher. He was completely anonymous. To this day, I don't think anyone in the world knows the name of this usher. But these two boys that accepted Jesus Christ, one of them was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham went on, because of that night, to lead literally millions of people to Jesus Christ. So do you think when that usher gets to heaven, do you think God's going to give him credit for the millions of people who got saved through Billy Graham's ministry? You bet he is. You bet he is. And you better believe what he did mattered. You may not see the prominence in your task, but you got to understand we're working for eternal significance. We're making a difference in eternity. You know, what, what if my liver one day came to me and said, you know what, I'm, I'm just tired of being in your body. I don't get anything out of it. I just give and I serve, but you know, I, I just want to be fed. I want to find a body that just takes care of my needs. If my liver did that to me, I'd die. I'd die. If my liver stopped work, decided it was just going to stop working because it was tired of always giving and never getting anything out of it, I would die. But we have churches dying all over. Churches that are not fulfilling their potential. Churches that are not bodies. The church is Christ's body. We have bodies dying all over America because there's people sitting in those bodies who aren't doing their job. They're just there for what they can get out of it. I'm looking for a church that meets my needs instead of looking for a church that I can be a part of, a church that I can contribute in, a church that I can serve in. I hear it as a pastor every week. I'm just looking for a church that meets the needs of my family. You're looking for the wrong thing. That's not what Christianity is all about. What you should be doing is asking God, God, where do you want me to go and serve? Where do you want me to go and contribute? Where do you want me to go and be a significant factor? That's how you look for a church. Well, I like their preaching better than this preaching. Their children's ministry is better than their children's ministry. This is meets my needs better. No, God, where do you want me to go and serve? Where do you want me to be a significant factor? Where do you want me to be a part of your kingdom? That's what the Christian life is all about. That's why we're passionate about the dream team. I encourage you after service, go talk to us at the dream team table. Find a place to get involved, get on the field, begin to contribute inside of the body God has placed you. I love Hebrews 6 verse 10. It says it like this. He will not forget how hard you worked for him. It doesn't say he's not going to forget how hard you worked for yourself or how hard you worked for your career or how hard you worked for your family. It says he's not going to forget how hard you worked for him. What does that mean? And how you have shown your love for him by caring for other Christians. 
How do we show our love for God? By caring for other Christians. How do we show our love for God? By getting involved. By finding a place on the dream team to serve and make a difference in the lives of other people. Let let me explain it like this. You're going to be rewarded in heaven for your faithfulness on earth. God is going to give you responsibility in heaven based on how you served him on earth. You'll have a position in heaven based on how you lived your life on earth. Now, going to heaven, that's free. So don't, don't confuse salvation by works because that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about position in heaven, not getting into heaven. Matthew 25, 21 says like this, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, so I will now put you in charge over many things. If you can be faithful with the few years God gives you on earth, God can give you great responsibility for, for way many more years after this. But it's based on how you use these few years here. How are you going to use the few years God gave you on earth? Life is just a vapor. It's a mist. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the life that God gave you? You know, out of Elvis's career, he only won a Grammy for one album. Out of all the music, all the success, he only won a Grammy for one album. And it was a Christian album of hymns that he sang. And I want to read a couple lines of one of the songs that he sang in that album. It says, After the lightning and thunder... After the last bell has rung, I want to bow down before Jesus and hear him say, Well done, my son. He is my reason for living. He is the King of Kings. I long to be in his possession. He is my everything. Elvis sang the words that could have gave him fulfillment. He sang the words that could have gave him purpose. But because he didn't live the words that he sang, he lived a very broken, broken man. When you stand before God, are you going to hear the words, well done? Close your eyes with me. I want you to just ask yourself that right now. I want you to be very honest. Look inside of your life and ask yourself, when I stand before God, is he going to say, well done? Are you going to be able to say, God, I brought you glory on earth because I did the job you gave me to do. I fulfilled the five purposes you created me for. Before we close today, with with eyes closed, heads bowed, I want to ask if there's anyone here that's not a part of God's family yet. And I want to explain to you, there's only one way to get into God's family, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ, His Son. All roads don't lead to heaven. One road leads to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. Period. So the one way to become part of God's family is you have to say yes to Jesus. And so let me ask you, is God first in your life today? Is He number one? Do you plan and build and prepare your life around God or do you do it around yourself? Who's most important to you? You or God? Because I need to explain something about God. God, if He is God, if if He is the definition of God, all-powerful, almighty, supreme, sovereign, an all-powerful God cannot, it's impossible for Him to take second place in your life. He can't do it. 
It's just impossible for a God that is completely holy and almighty and powerful to be anything but first place in your life. He's either all in your life or he's nothing in your life. You can't be a part-time Christian. It is impossible. There is no such thing as lukewarm Christianity. God is either all to you or he's nothing. He's either number one or he's not at all. And so let me ask you today. If you need to make a decision to put Jesus Christ first in your life. To go to the God through his son Jesus. Maybe it's your first time to ever make this decision. Maybe you just need to come back to him. Maybe you've walked away from God and it's time that you come back. It's time you're like the prodigal. You, you, you were family at one point, but then you left and God's saying, listen, I want you to come home. I want you to be family again. You may be ashamed of what you've done since you've been away from God, but God's saying, listen, I don't care about any of that. I just want to love you. I want to bring you home. Let's, let's, let's forgive you. Let's forget it all and let's move on. So if you're in either one of those situations this morning, you need to say yes to being a part of God's family for the first time or you get need to come home today. Would you, with no one looking around, raise your hand so that I can pray for you. Nobody looking around, just raise your hand up right now. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Who else? The process is simple. I want you to say a prayer to yourself this morning. Now, you don't need to say it out loud. God can hear your thoughts. But I'll, step one is I, I want you to just say, God, I invite you to have first place in my life. Take over. Be number one. Second part of that prayer is just say, God, forgive me. Every one of us has messed up. None of us deserve the grace of God. We've all sinned. I deserve hell for all of eternity. That's what I deserve. But God saved me from it because of his grace and because of his love. So just say, God, forgive me. And then lastly, just say, thank you. Thank you for letting your son die for me. Thank you for giving me this chance, this opportunity. Thank you for saving me. You died for me. You took the punishment that I deserve. Thank you. And you can look up. If you pray that prayer, I would encourage you on your connect card on your seat, there's a box on the back that says, I made a decision to put God first in my life. I would encourage you to check that box. You can drop it off on one of the tithing offering boxes as you leave today. We want to connect with you and help you figure out what it means to walk out your life with Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you to stop by our table outside, pick up a copy of Purpose Driven Life. They're free of charge. We want to invest this into your life. And anyone here today that does not have a copy of this book, please pick up a copy today. We want you to have this book. It is free. This book is the greatest uh, beginner's course to what it means to serve God, to be a Christian, to discover your purpose, why you were created, why God put you on earth. It's a great, great book that I, I can't encourage you enough to go through and read with us as a church. So if you don't have a copy yet, please pick one up outside. They're completely free of charge. And as we close today, would you stand with me? We have an election on Tuesday in our nation. And I know every four years, people say this is the most important election of our generation. I know people say that, but honestly, I don't think we've ever had an election or a campaign with two candidates that are more polar opposites in beliefs, more polar opposite in philosophy, more polar opposite in values than any other time in the history of our nation. 
And so I was reading our soap chapter today. We're in first John chapter one and verse nine really stood out to me today. It says, if you confess our sins, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. We have a chance as a nation to turn things around. We can repent as a nation. What does the word repent mean? Well, the Greek word is metanoia, to change your mind. All repent means is to change our mind. We have a chance to change our mind this Tuesday. And vote men and women into office who share our biblical values. Who share our value to the right to life of unborn children. Who share our value that marriage should not be redefined, but it should be protected who share our Christian biblical values. We have a chance this Tuesday to vote for our values. And I would encourage you to vote for your values. Every election in America for the last 25 years, presidential, has been won or lost by less than 10 million votes. And in the last presidential election, 30 million born-again Christians did not vote. We don't have to give up on this nation. We can return this nation to our Christian values and our Christian heritage. Do you know why America is great? Because of our Christian faith. Because Christianity is the only religion that accepts all people, whether they believe what we believe or not. The reason we are tolerant as a nation is because our foundation is Christian. You take away our foundation, this nation will become intolerant. The reason we can accept atheists with arms open wide and love them and accept Muslims and accept Buddhists is because our Jesus commands us to. That is our Christian foundation and our Christian heritage. And if we stop building Christian values, then we will become religious intolerant in America. Our society will fall apart. So our foundation has to remain built on the word of God and built on our Christian heritage that our founding forefathers intended if we are going to and we don't have to give up and say it's too late we can make a change right now we can change things we can study the propositions and understand what they mean to California stop by our salt and light table we have a voters forum there for you a voters guide they can go through the different propositions and explain so you don't have to be ignorant at the polls you can know what they mean and the impact they're going to have in our state You can know the candidates nationally and locally, know what they believe, know what they stand for, know who endorses them so that we can put people. There's no perfect candidate. I get it. But there are people who support our biblical values and there are people who oppose our biblical values. We want to put people into office. We have a voice. That's why America is a democracy, because we can choose to put people who share our values into office or we can choose to put people who oppose our values into office. That's what being a democracy is all about. If we stop being Christian, this nation is going to be very intolerant. It's our Christianity that makes us tolerant as a nation. It's our Christianity that makes us accepting as a nation. Let's not lose our foundation. Let's vote this Tuesday to rebuild the foundation of our nation. And so what I want you to do is just pray with me over this election. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we repent, God, of the wickedness that we have allowed to run rampant in our nation because Christians have stayed silent. We don't want to force our beliefs on anybody, but we do want to stand for our beliefs. 
and restore our beliefs to the foundation of this nation that our founding forefathers built this place on. Because it's those beliefs that will love and accept and be tolerant of all people, no matter who they are, what they believe, or where they're from. It's our Christianity that makes us loving, that makes us compassionate. Let us never lose that foundation in our nation, but let us fight as believers to restore that foundation so that we can remain a free and a blessed nation that welcomes all people to worship freely here because of our foundation that has established that. Our foundation has been slowly eroding, but we can make a change to rebuild it. And so, God, we commit to you today to make our voice heard as your word, as the Bible declares, we are to vote for men and women, elect people of good character, put them in office. God, we are going to obey your word this Tuesday and we are going to vote for men and women who share our values as Christians so that we can rebuild the foundations of this nation. It's not too late, God. We're not giving up. We thank you for your mercy. And we plead for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. And we plead for your grace to be upon us. Don't let us be like the empires of the past that rose and fell. But let us continue to build on a firm foundation so that this nation can stand great for many, many years to come for our children and our grandchildren. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Tell somebody today, make sure you go vote.